The Seahawks are 1-0 and in first place in the NFC West. What did we learn about Pete Carroll's team in primetime on Monday night? It's time for our first Tell the Truth Tuesday of the 2022 season on Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Still riding the high after last night, the Seahawks with that thrilling 17-16 victory over the Broncos. Rob, that was the loudest that I have heard this stadium probably in six or seven years. And you and I were laughing before the games, like, eh, it seems like it's kind of quiet in here during introductions. But once Russell Wilson took the field with the Denver Broncos offense, everything changed. The fans brought their A game, and it was a huge part of this victory. Before we get to our first Tell the Truth Tuesday of the 2022 season, I got to give the Seahawks social media team a ton of credit with the stuff they have posted in the last 10 to 15 hours, including this amazing cartoon that was on their Twitter. Let's ride being crossed out with go Hawks. You can see the Broncos looking through the window, the Wilson volleyball in a case there. It was just perfect seeing Jordan Brooks on the piano. That was the feeling for the Seahawks coming out of this game, getting the one-point victory. Really looking forward to breaking down that win on today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. There's a lot to be excited about coming out of last night's 17-16 victory. If you're Pete Carroll, the Seahawks, their former players, the many of them that were in attendance, jubilation after the game when the kick went wide left from 64 yards out, ensured the Seahawks would be 1-0 on the season. Unfortunately, Rob, the win came at a great cost. Jamal Adams who's had so many problems with injuries during his two-plus seasons with the Seahawks, looks like he's probably going to miss the remainder of the 2022 season. Pete Carroll this morning indicating he's going to need an operation of some sort. We don't know a timeline, but a knee injury and a serious quad tendon injury to go along with that. This certainly does not sound good for his prospects of playing again this season, and it's unfortunate because it happened on a common football play, and it's just bad luck once again nipping the star safety in the butt. It, it really is unfortunate. you know. And there would be some critics out there who would say, oh, well, Jamal Adams hasn't played much for the Seahawks. What, what are they really missing? I can tell you what they're missing. They're missing intensity. They're missing closing speed. They're missing versatility. They're missing that alpha dog kind of mentality that uh, that I think we saw in evidence how important that can be. As you mentioned, Corbin, with some of this, the past Seahawks legends being there in the stadium, it was just the difference in the crowd 
crowd noise and applause for guys like Richard Sherman, Cliff Averill, uh, Marshawn Lynch, and then, of course, the booze when Russell Wilson, wearing number three in the Denver Orange, uh, got on to the field. Um, and, and so I think it's that same type of mentality that you're going to be losing here with Jamal Adams. The fact that so many uh, of the Seahawks, with that jubilation, as you mentioned, after the victory, did cite the loss of Jamal Adams, their brother, to quote some uh, of Seattle's uh, you know playmakers on defense uh, during last night's game, that how they kind of dedicated the rest of their efforts to Jamal Adams being lost. So uh, again, I, I think that from an X's and O's standpoint, considering how well that Josh Jones has played for the Seahawks at the safety position, then you, you have some uh, you know comfort in just knowing that you do have a good football player who might be able to uh, you know take advantage of this opportunity. But at the same time, there is no doubt about the Seahawks lost one of their leaders last night. And that is something that is going to be very difficult to recover from, especially because the season, of course, is just a week, a week old. One of the things that I was most excited about going into the season was seeing what Clint Hurt and Sean Desai could do with Jamal Adams. And there was so much intrigue in training camp seeing where they were moving him around. And last night, the blitz that he got hurt on came untouched. Russell Wilson was able to evade him initially, but Adams worked his way back and was able to hit the quarterback as he threw a force and incompletion on third down. It was a huge play early in the game. And then you see Adams as he's trying to stand up. He's favoring that left leg, can barely get off the field, limping, gets into the blue injury tent. Then he can't put any weight on it. They put him on the medical cart. You could see the look of frustration on his face. You can understand why it's just been one injury after another for Jamal Adams. And some of it had to do with the style that he plays with the physicality. This one though was just truly bad luck on a normal football play. I've watched the replay four or five times and I can't tell you exactly where this injury happened. It's not like he got blasted by somebody. It just was one of those, maybe it was a non-contact injury while I was going in trying to get that hit on Russell Wilson, but it's just bad luck that, sometimes unfortunately happens when you play professional sports especially football and you look at the laundry list of injuries for Adams since they traded for him before the 2020 season missed four games of the groin strain early in his first year with the team played through broken fingers and a torn labrum in his shoulder second half of the 2020 season battled through it last year tore his labrum again in week 13 missed the last five games underwent surgery Broken finger in July, one of the fingers he had fused this offseason in a freak accident when he got caught in a teammate's face mask. And now he's got this knee quad tendon tear that most likely is going to cause him to miss the rest of the season. And when you add everything up, if he does not play another snap this season, which is looking very likely, Rob, he will have missed 26 combined regular season games in three years since they traded for him. And Obviously, there's going to be plenty of critics out there that are going to look back at the decision to trade two first-round picks for Adams, say this was a massive failure, but you can't blame this on the player. Unfortunately, in, in a sport like football that's got the physicality and the hard-hitting injuries are going to be part of the game, and unfortunately, Adams has been bit by this more than most players, and hopefully he can make a quick recovery as quick as he can make from this injury. Typically, it's a five-month recovery if we're talking a full-blown quad tendon tear. 
And so that would mean he is most certainly not going to be back this season. They're still looking at some scans today with hopes. Maybe it's partial. Maybe that opens the door for him coming back into the season. But it's certainly not looking good. And I think it creates some doubt about his future. I think he's going to be here next year. But you've got to start wondering if the Seahawks' front office are going to be looking at the drawing board wondering the money we're paying him, all these injuries. He's going to be 29 next year. They might be in a situation where they're starting to wonder, do we hold on to him at this point? Yeah, that might be a conversation they have to have. And I think that would be a very tough uh, conversation because, as you said, you can't blame the player. I mean, he, there's there's one thing you can certain you can take to the bank with Jamal Adams is that he is going to play hard. Yep. And I don't think that you can blame Seattle's uh, medical team uh, because of the variety of injuries that Jamal Adams has suffered, the fact that he has shown a great deal of toughness in coming back from them. And, and frankly, I don't think that you can blame John Schneider or Pete Carroll for having the courage to play off the trade in the first place injuries happen that is the, the nature of the business frankly i would rather support a club that has the courage to go for superstar players to try to find those difference makers rather than teams out there who are not willing to do make those type of bold moves and are going to be satisfied with basically playing 500 ball year in and year out is it unfortunate obviously but at the same time, it kind of is what it is. You got to roll with the punches. And again, it's up to Josh Jones now. He's going to get his opportunity. We've seen flashes of what he can do. This is another reclamation project that we, we saw a lot of guys that were kind of thrown on the scrap heap um, that wound up playing starring roles for the Seahawks uh, in their win over the Broncos. Let's see if Josh Jones is able to do the same thing moving forward. Yeah, there's a silver lining to all of this. Obviously, the Seahawks would love to have number 33 out there with his unique skill set and where he fits in with this defense. This hybrid 3-4 was one of the big storylines going into this season. You'd love to have him out there, but the silver lining, you do have Josh Jones, who's a starter caliber player, was a former second-round pick, and Ryan Neal's still on the roster. So deepest position they've got, they have some playmakers that can step in, and if filled in admirably for Adams in the past. Now they're going to be counting on them for the vast majority of this season. We'll see how they hold up. It's our first Tell the Truth Tuesday of the 2022 season. We're going to take a deep dive with some takeaways, revisiting the film from last night's game on offense, defense, and special teams. We're going to start on the offensive side of the football coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. As a diehard fantasy player, I'm rolling with Patrick Mahomes to throw for over 400 yards, Jonathan Taylor to amass three rushing touchdowns, and Tyler Lockett to snag 10 receptions in week two. Those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport you can imagine NFL, NBA, women's college basketball, esports, even NASCAR. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Before we take a deep dive into last night's thrilling win, I want to talk to you about a product that my wife and I use literally every day. 
We started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because we want an easy, delicious way of improving our gut health, and we found it. With one delicious scoop out of this green canister of AG1, we as well as you could be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle friendly. We drink it first thing in the morning, even before our coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. We've experienced better, sounder sleep and recovery. It supports mental clarity and alertness, which of course you need after a victory like last night. Athletic Greens doesn't just make it easy to get healthy. It's easy to get too. That's because Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune support vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NFL network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tell the Truth Tuesday edition, the first one of the season. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to get to our deep dive takeaways coming out of last night's 17-16 victory for the Seahawks over the Broncos. But first, we're going to be doing this every week. We have a short week. Normally, this will be on our Monday episode, but it is time for our weekly power rankings, courtesy of the Locked On Podcast Network. All of our hosts voted on this, and certainly the Seahawks moved up. Looking at where they stand in the power rankings, last week the Seahawks were 27. They move up to number 22 in our Week 2 power rankings, so almost to the middle column, one behind the Arizona Cardinals who lost this past weekend. And from an NFC West standpoint, Rob, the Seahawks are the only team in the win column after Week 1. 1-0, everybody else is 0-1 in first place by themselves. And I know there are going to be some of our listeners that are thinking, this is a bit crazy. Why are we talking playoffs in week one? Well, the Seahawks weren't supposed to win this game, and they were the only team in the NFC West to win. So after week one, if the playoffs started today, the Seahawks would be the number four seed and would host a home playoff game, even though they're ranked number 22 on our power rankings after one week. They are in first place. They would host a playoff game. And so it's always fun to kind of take a look at that stuff after each week. We're going to be doing that throughout the season. Hopefully the Seahawks will have several more thrilling victories like the one they had last night. And we can continue to positively look at these power rankings and standings and maybe start thinking, as Jim Morris said, playoffs, playoffs. Maybe we'll be thinking about that as we get later into the season. All right, let's get to our Tell the Truth Tuesday here, Rob. On the offensive side of the football, what is the first thing that jumps out to you? What did we learn about the Seahawks offense in their season opening win over the Broncos? Corbin, I don't have the ability to uh, use my voice the way that you do, but Gino, Gino, Gino was pretty awesome. Just to hear, uh, just to first, just to see Gino Smith take full advantage of his opportunity, seize the opportunity. He was outstanding. And to see the crowd get behind him the way that they did and just will the club to a victory, I don't think that we can even have this conversation without starting off with Gino Smith. 
No, he was absolutely money completing each of his first 13 passes. Rob, that had been done two times in week one since 1990. Gardner Minshew a few years ago, the pride of Washington State, completed his first 13, and then Hall of Famer Jim Kelly with the Buffalo Bills. Geno Smith joining that exclusive group. 17 for 18 in the first half, 94%. And this was not one of those cases. Sometimes you see this, particularly in college football, with the way offenses are now in college. You will see quarterbacks that rack up 90-plus percent completion percentages in the half where they're just dinking and dunking, and that is not what Geno Smith was doing. Were there certainly some checkdowns? Yeah, he was smart with the football sometimes when he didn't have throws downfield, but he made some really tough throws downfield, a couple across his body. He made some difficult throws, improvising after he escaped the pocket. He did it all. And so this was not a case of just getting 17 easily manufactured completions. I mean, some of these were difficult throws that he was able to make in this football game and, and give the Seahawks a lead going into the half. And I think my big thing here is Geno Smith showed he can get the job done as long as the pass protection is there. Now he did improvise the first touchdown to Will Disley. I don't know how he got out of that sack, but he looked like Russell Wilson there stepping up and then a pop pass. Will Disley wide open 38 yards later, touchdown Seahawks are up seven, nothing best start you could possibly ask for. There was another uh, play where he got away from a rusher and completed a pass to Marquise Goodwin along the sideline where he was off platform. Again, looked kind of like the guy he was facing off against that used to be the starter in front of it. In Russell Wilson, he's got to have the pass protection there, though. Second half, let him down a little bit, got hit a few times. There was a strip sack, sack twice in the half. If the pass protection holds up in front of him like it did for a good portion of this game, Geno Smith is going to be just fine, especially with the way that this offense suddenly looks like it's going to utilize tight ends. Well, exactly. That's the thing is I think we have to give a lot of credit to Geno Smith, but I think we also have to give a lot of credit to Shane Waldron and, and just the play calling. I mean, there were some really crisp, uh, you know, play calling and, uh, you know, good decisions, good, good. Uh, we, we talked about the different personnel groupings and things like that. The, you know, kind of wishbone look that they, that, that Seattle had moving DK Metcalf inside into the slot at times. We hadn't seen much of that in the past. So I, I just really liked the way that they did all of those things. And then you mentioned the tight end thing. Uh, you know, the, the, the beautiful throw by Geno Smith um, over the top to Will Disley, his ability to locate the football track it down and run. I mean, that was a beautiful throw, a very difficult throw. So it kind of goes back to your initial point about just how difficult the, the passes that Geno Smith was attempting and the fact that he was as efficient as he was truly was a remarkable performance. But I, yeah, the, the tight end group, I, I think that we have to kind of acknowledge that because it had been a long, long time since we have seen the Seahawks be as effective as they were at the tight end position. I think, frankly, it was a little bit of a shot to, to Russell Wilson, the Denver Broncos. That had been something that we've talked about this so many times before with Russell Wilson's height. He had struggled throwing to the tight end. It's interesting that he actually had some success throwing to the tight end for Denver as well, but obviously not the big plays that resulted in the scores that uh, Seattle got from Disley and Parkinson as well. I think that that was a really interesting thing about that game. And I, I think you have to get some credit to the running game. Frankly, I would have liked to have seen Rashad Penny get the ball a little bit more because 
Carroll talked about that as well. But at the same time, you saw the flashes of Rashad Penny's explosiveness. And so I am really encouraged by what we saw from Seattle's offense. Obviously, there's going to be some droughts with this club. I mean, they didn't score any points in the second half. But at the same time, that's a quality defense that the Seahawks just beat uh, on Monday night. And they were able to do it with scheme as well as just pure raw talent. This Broncos defense, I think, has a chance to be a top five unit again. With the talent they have in the trenches, their secondary is fantastic. And the Seahawks did such a good job. Again, kudos to Shane Waldron and Geno Smith because those two worked together to game plan. And Geno Smith, I asked him the question after the game about the tight ends and getting them involved given the secondary talent the Broncos have. And he made it clear, maybe they listen to Matchup Wednesday because we talked about this attack the linebackers in coverage. That is the rat on the Denver Broncos defense. Jonas Griffith is a solid run defending linebacker, but you put him against Colby Parkinson one-on-one running a seam route, he's going to lose that matchup 90% of the time. And Geno Smith immediately identified that. He saw man coverage with Ronald Darby running across the field on a crosser with Tyler Lockett, immediately identified that end of his three-step drop, boom, ball out over the top, perfect seam throw. 25-yard touchdown to Colby Parkinson. Overall, the tight ends accounted for roughly 50% of Seattle's receiving yardage. They were doing a good job stretching the defense horizontally and vertically with that tight end group. And so a lot to be encouraged about, especially in the game that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were going to have a tough time getting open, given the talent that the Broncos have at cornerback. Sertan versus Metcalf was exciting all game long. There are going to be games where those two are going to be much more heavily involved, but this was a game where you needed the tight ends to step it up, and they did that. They lived up to their training camp hype. And as you mentioned, I think my one downside coming out of this game is just we know there are going to be trouts, more so than what we saw with Russell Wilson over the last 10 years. Though Last year, they were very hit and miss with Russell Wilson in the lineup. That is where that run game is going to come in handy. And I felt like last night they didn't get the run game going enough in the second half. That goes back to the lack of carries for Rashad Penny. But can you get that running game going when maybe the passing game isn't humming full throttle like it was in the third and fourth quarter? Lean on that ground game a little bit more. They're going to have to do that because they're going to be dry spells. This passing game is not going to be elite most of the time. You're not going to see Geno Smith start 13 for 13 every single week. It's not going to happen. There's going to be droughts. Can you negate that to an extent by being able to enforce your will with the run game, get Rashad Penny and company going. Ken Walker, the third, supposed to play this next weekend. That's going to add another weapon in the backfield. If they can get that run game being more consistent, that is going to make this offense that much better. And those droughts are going to be far less prominent. Yeah, and we knew that there was going to be some droughts because it's it's not just about the quarterback, of course. It's those two rookie offensive tackles. And yeah. I think that Charles Cross had a pretty strong game overall. Obviously, he got beat a couple of times, including for the strip sack, uh, you know, and, you know, that, again, you you are going to have that when you're going up against pass rushers like what the Denver Broncos have. Um, at the same time, I also thought that Abraham Lucas had a, had an even better game. Um, the, the, the holding penalty was ridiculous. I mean, that is, his hands phantom. were exactly that was a phantom call. 
So that that was disappointing. And I, I love the fact that the camera kind of zoomed in on Abraham Lucas as he was coming back to the huddle and he kind of grinned. And I just love the confidence from a young player. Like, really, you're going to call that? All right. And he went out and kicked his defender's butt the next play. And, and that is the mentality that has always intrigued me uh, about Abraham Lucas. So I am encouraged by the fact that, that Seattle's offensive tackles played as well as they did. We didn't have the fall or Seattle didn't have the false start issue. Uh, that Charles Cross had had during his preseason debut, of course, in Lumen Field. So that was certainly encouraging. And then you you mentioned some of the throws. You mentioned some of the, the fact that well, Seattle obviously has two superstars, the wide receiver position, DK Metcalf uh, and, and Tyler Lockett. And certainly you want to see Tyler Lockett be a little bit more involved than he was. At the same time, I was really encouraged by some of the plays that DK Metcalf made. The, the one play with, with Patrick Sertan very much on his back, and he just beast mode. He just grabbed the ball and and, you know, Sertan, he couldn't be in better position. And that is one of the few times where I've seen DK Metcalf play as big and physical as he actually is. There's lots of times where I've seen him show off his speed. I want to see him show off that power. I just thought he got a little bit too greedy on the exact next play, trying to show how tough he is. And then, of course, had the ball ripped away from him. But I think that just comes with maturity. And that is a to me, it's a very exciting development for the Seahawks because I think that DK Metcalf can ascend this season. Even if his statistics don't say so, I think he can become a little bit more of a true number one receiver in the NFL, a guy that is just indefensible. There were moments last night against one of the best corners in the league, in my opinion, in Sertan, that I thought DK Metcalf showed exactly that. Yeah, I would be encouraged coming out of this game. The stats might not be there. There was that huge fumble by Metcalf, but... He made some really nice catches in traffic against one of the best young corners in the game. I think Sertan is going to be one of the best corners if he's not already in the NFL for a long time. So that was a really fun matchup that we were excited about. Lockett's going to have his big games. There are going to be a lot of opponents where they are better equipped to be able to attack downfield to their star receivers. The Broncos secondary is just really good, and you don't see a lot of mishaps in coverage, which is why that touchdown to Kobe Parkinson surprised me with a safety bailing on the post. It was the perfect play call, though, to go against the coverage that the Broncos were running. And so there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged on offense. There's going to be droughts, but I think fans are probably feeling a lot better about this offense being coordinated by Waldron and operated by Smith than what they were going into this season opener. We're going to switch gears to the defensive side of the football. What a performance by Clint Hurts' defense in the season opener, holding the Broncos to 16 points. We're going to take a deep dive, continuing our Tell the Truth Tuesday, looking at a number of takeaways on the defensive side of the football coming up next. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including week two action in the NFL and college ranks. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sporting and wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, is BetOnline. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. You're listening to Tell the Truth Tuesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Now make your second listen to Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. 
It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. We just talked offense in the second quarter, continuing Tell the Truth Tuesday. Going over to the defensive side of the football, the Seahawks gave up more than 400 yards of offense to Russell Wilson and company. But when it really mattered, they were able to make the stops that they needed. Rob, what did we learn about Clint Hurts' defense, his first game as a coordinator, holding the Broncos to just 16 points in prime time? I think that our YouTube followers uh, might appreciate this a little bit more than maybe our listeners because I'm just going to kind of thump my chest here. But the heart, uh, that that was what was really impressive to me. There, there were so many times, Corbin, where it felt like this was a, a losing effort, that, that it felt like Russell Wilson was going to guide the Broncos down the, down the field. They were going to kick the game-winning field goal. It felt like Javante Williams was going to be able to just brush through the, the line and, and be able to get that extra yard necessary to get into the end zone, certainly. Melvin Gordon and and the, the productive runner that he has been throughout his illustrious NFL career that he'd be able to do the same things and yet the Seahawks defense simply would not allow it the crowd noise simply would not allow it the emotion in the building simply would not allow it and it's a it's a cliche that Ben but don't break defense but it's a cliche for a reason because it's true and, and it was just impressive to see, as you said, this is Clint Hurts' debut as an NFL defensive coordinator, and to see the Seahawks respond to that challenge as well as they did against a obviously very talented uh, opponent, I think really speaks to the coaching ability, the motivation, uh, and, and as well as just the sheer talent and will of Seattle's players. This performance, I'm not saying that this is the Legion of Boom because it's obviously not, but it was Legion of Boom-esque in the sense they truly defended every single blade of grass. This looked like when Cam Chancellor punched the ball out of Calvin Johnson's hand or when K.J. Wright was able to knock the football to the back of the end zone. Probably should have been penalized for that. But that's the way that this mindset was for the defense for a number of years when they had the number one ranked defense for four straight years. You could move the ball sometimes in this defense, but when you got down close to the goal line, good luck finishing drives. They just didn't give up a lot of touchdowns. They were always near the top of the league in low red zone percentage against for a reason. And last night, you could see that from this defense three times. And obviously the Broncos played into that with some of the mistakes that they made as well. But this defense, like you said, they showed heart, they showed grit. One player in particular, it seemed like every single time that the Seahawks needed a big play last night, number 10 was in the middle of it. Uchenna Nuosu, and I'm going to say this right now, not just based on how he played last night. To me, he was the player of the game for the Seahawks, aside from Geno Smith on offense. I think Uchenna Nuosu was the player of the game. He did a little bit of everything, had a batted pass, had a sack, two tackles for a loss, played well against the run, forced a fumble near the goal line. He did everything for the Seahawks. But he's 25 years old. John Schneider signed into a two-year deal. This is a, a still ascending player that is in a perfect scheme for his skill set. I think that this is the best free agent signing that John Schneider has made since Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett came before 2013. Similar position, a little different defensive style, but this guy is a physical football player that can win with finesse. He can win bullying offensive lineman across from him he forces fumbles endless motor that sack chasing down russell wilson all the way to the sideline in pursuit just flying all over the field 
if you're a Seahawks fan, you just had to be buzzing about the play of Ochenna Nuosu. And he really was the player that characterized what we saw from the defense as a whole. Just a 120% motor all game long, constantly in the mix. That was the way this whole defense played. They fed off the crowd and they fed off of Nuosu with the way that he was wreaking havoc in the trenches. Yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of people asking about, oh, do, you know, Pete Carroll, do you feel vindicated? Gino Smith, do you feel vindicated? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we, frankly, should feel vindicated because we've been calling for this. This, this is one of those those players that when Seattle signed Chen Nuoso, we kind of talked about that. We thought that he would bring that junkyard dog mentality. We talked about specifically the, the matchup with, with Denver's uh, left tackle, a really good player, but also a bit of a hothead. Um, and you can get into his head a little bit. You certainly can get into Russell Wilson's uh, head a little bit, force him to start moving around the pocket. He is not the same guy like most quarterbacks. Once you start getting a couple of hits on him, him, and there's no question about it that Nuosu was absolutely that lightning rod. And I say that with uh, you know, all due respect to his former team, the Los Angeles Chargers, that made him that selection from USC, a team, of course, that Pete Carroll knows really well. I just thought this was a hand-in-glove fit from the very beginning, and I'm expecting big things from Nuosu to, uh, to continue. And one other thing, real quick, you, you mentioned K.J. Wright uh, in, in the big play that he made all those years ago, and I was remiss. I talked about some of the other Seahawk legends on the sideline. Nobody was bigger. Nobody was more impactful of the former Seahawks than KG Wright putting up the flag, getting the crowd jacked up from the very start. I thought that that was a fitting tribute for him to be the guy uh, to be there to to start the game for the Seahawks. And in that regard, I thought that it was just kind of uh, almost poetic in, in the way that it all worked out for the Seahawks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was the perfect selection. I thought maybe Sue Bird would be the one that raised the flag with her retirement or maybe Julio Rodriguez, the rising superstar for the soon to be playoff bound Seattle Mariners. So weird saying that, but they they're going to make the playoffs. It's going to happen. They're finally going to end that drought. But they went with K.J. Wright, who just announced his retirement. He signed that one day contract. And really, he did get this crowd fired up to kick off the game. And they never relented from the first kick. All the way to the very end of the game, the crowd was merciless towards Russell Wilson and the Broncos and made life extremely difficult. Now, let's go to the secondary here because you saw the rookie mistakes from Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. Bryant, of course, was on the wrong end of a 67-yard touchdown to Jerry Judy. There's some positives to glean from that, believe it or not. He recovered on that play extremely well. He was burned, and he was able to catch up. The throw was a little behind the receiver, and Judy had to slow down. That allowed Bryant to catch up, but he just wasn't quite able to get turned quick enough to make a play on the football. I think there's some real learning moments there, though, that he can gain from. That He put himself in position to make a play. He just didn't execute. And Tariq Woolen, you take the two defensive pass interference calls. I thought one of them was pretty tic-tac. The other one, he was blatantly grabbing K.J. Hamler right in front of the ref. That's going to get called every time. But he was targeted three times in this game, Rob, and didn't give up any completions. I felt like the Broncos showed great respect for the fifth-round pick because Russell Wilson was very selective about when he tested him. And quite frankly, two of the throws that he made vertically to Cortland Sutton against Woolen. One of them should have been intercepted by Quandre Diggs and it slipped through his hands. And the other one, Woolen, was all over Sutton right in his hip pocket. I mean, they tested him. He was right in the receiver's grill and didn't allow any catches. So I thought overall it was a very impressive debut for Tariq Woolen. 
It absolutely was. As you just said, he didn't allow a single catch. Like This is a fifth-round pick. He, he played 18 career games at the cornerback position, a couple of them with a cast on his hand uh, after previously playing wide receiver. So for him to come in as a rookie on Monday night football against you know all the odds of Russell Wilson, all the storylines, and to hold up the way that he did, you know, Denver threw a, a quick pass to the tight end the very first play of the game that wound up bouncing off a of tight end's hands. And Woolen was in, uh, you know, he was in kind of the location there close to it. So if you want to say that that was another uh, target for him, um, sure. If you want to say about, you know, some of the other plays as far as the, the pass interferences and things like that, if you want to criticize him there, sure, I, I get it. But at the same time, to not allow a single reception, to have a quarterback as aggressive on the deep ball as Russell Wilson is to have an offensive play call Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you know, his, who is known for his aggression as well. Uh, again, for them not to target uh, the rookie cornerback, I think just speaks to the fact that Denver Broncos, like most other NFL teams, have probably already watched a lot of tape on Tariq Wool and recognize exactly what Pete Carroll and the Seahawks have recognized. Is, oh my goodness, the Seahawks have an absolute rising star here at the cornerback position yet again. You mentioned Legion of Boom before and all the comparisons of Richard Sherman that are just so natural here. One of the concerns I've had about Tariq Wool is, is he going to be physical enough against the run? Is he going to be able to get off blocks? There were some times that he got beat by that, but I was encouraged by his want to, his physicality as the game went on. We we mentioned the Jamal Adams and the injury. When he got to the sideline, Corbett, I watched him kind of take off his helmet and leave it on the sideline in frustration. When Tariq Woolen got hurt for a while, got kind of banged up his right arm, he went into the, into the, the medical tent, came right back out once he was available, went and got his helmet, and was sitting right behind Clint Hurt, right behind the defensive coordinator, waiting to get back onto the field. That is the playmaking, the, the want to, the mentality, that junkyard dog kind of mentality that I, pre I mentioned previously with Chen Nuosu, and Tariq Woolen already has that. That was one of the big questions. There's not a lot of former wide receivers who have that, that dog in them. Woolen does, and he happens to be 6'4", 205, running the four twos. So, I mean, oh my goodness, Seahawks fans, you might can, you can argue that you're not going to win a lot of games where you know Seattle has the, the, the defensive stops, the goal line, things like that. There was a lot of times the ball seemed to bounce in their favor. One thing that you can feel really good about is Tariq Woolen, and as well as Kobe Bryant. I would agree with what you said before. I was encouraged by both of those two players on the defensive side of the ball as rookies. Certainly, it uh, was encouraged by what I saw from the offensive tackles as well. This youth movement that Seattle is going for certainly worked out on Monday night. In week one, it's never as good as you think. It's never as bad as you think. And so I'm going to leave off, and you just kind of led into this. You are not going to win games week in, week out, getting goal line stops. That is not a strategy. It's not a recipe that is going to yield long-term success. Pete Carroll knows that. Clint Hurt knows that. That's not to say that they won't make some other really nice stops in the red zone this year, but you can't be banking on week in, week out, forcing two fumbles inside the three yard line and the other team getting key penalties, particularly when you are on the road, that's just not going to happen. So this defense is going to have to do a better job of eliminating sustained drives. Last night, the Broncos got past midfield every single one of their possessions. You're going to need to be better than that moving forward, especially with the 49ers, the way they like running the football coming up on Sunday. Your mindset's going to have to change. They're going to have to bring their hard hats. you got to be able to get off the field so the other team can't wear you down. 
There are certainly areas of improvement. They had a couple missed interception opportunities. Adams had a ball bounce off his helmet. Diggs uncharacteristically missed that one in the end zone. So certainly you got all the missed tackles as well. There's a lot to clean up, but it's week one. So that's not necessarily negative, but it's just you can't live and die by that recipe that they won with last night and expect to win a bunch more games this year. The defense is going to have to find ways to get off the field quicker and get better field position for the offense. I think they'll be able to do that. There's certainly a lot of coaching tape, and this is a young defense in a lot of positions as well. So those players are going to be learning on the fly as they gain experience. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we're all ready to match up Wednesday. Rob and I are going to be diving into key matchups to watch on offense and defense as the Seahawks head out for their first road test of the year and their first NFC West matchup of the season against the 49ers in Santa Clara. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.